0: We're going to be starting off uh, in verses 1 through 5. We want to read these verses and have prayer over the message and then get uh, into the message this morning. Uh, I'm excited about what God has for us. I love the story of Ruth. I can remember the first time I actually heard the book of Ruth preached, believe it or not. Um, Well, I'd say I I remember the first time. It's the first time I was aware that somebody was preaching in the book of Ruth. And I say that because I grew up in the church, and I'm sure there's times I heard it before, but maybe was asleep or playing with matchbox cars or something of that. But I remember the very first time I was actually in Ray, Virginia, and Brother Ray Berry was the one that actually preached on this book the first time that it actually caught my attention. I've read it several times after that. Um, I was telling Chris, in preparation for this message and just trying to really kind of get down and understand, the book of Ruth is a beautiful book, and if you just read it for face value, it tells a wonderful story. Um, But if you really get into all the symbolism in this book, uh, you can really get deep, and four chapters can take you weeks and weeks. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts as I'm on the road a lot, uh, and I downloaded a 12 one-hour each series on these four chapters, right? This little book of Ruth had 12 one-hour lessons, and I was listening to them, I thought, Lord, how many pages of notes will I have for this? Right. And as soon as I told Chris about how much study I'd done, Chris was like, We have visitors off. You're gonna take forever. We're just gonna look at the overlying story today, but I pray that you will actually dig into the book of Ruth. But the book of Ruth is a beautiful story, folks, of redemption and restoration. And if there's something that we need to be preaching well today and in our time that we live is redemption in Christ and restoration for those who maybe have been hurt by the church or maybe have just kind of grown cold on the Lord. I want you to know today that if you're here and maybe you fall in that category of sometimes we just kind of get cold, sometimes we just... I don't know, it's, it's, it's not that we don't love God, it's just sometimes I think we love ourselves more and we just get caught up in everything that's going on. I want you to know today that God loves you as much today as he ever has loved you, and it's time to come home, amen? Or if you're here today and you've never known him, if you're here today and you've never, never known love, because I can tell you this, if you don't know Christ, then you don't know love, amen? you've never met love. You may have some people around you that say they love you. You may even have a spouse that'll just confess their dying love to you. But I can tell you today that as much as I'm loved by my beautiful wife, my wife loves me. Listen, she loves me. Amen. The other day I went to go get up out of the couch to get myself a glass of tea and I was getting up. She says, what are you doing? Getting a glass of tea, right? What What am I doing? I would have gotten that for you. I'm like, well, you're not my servant. You're not my maid. I can get up and get my own iced tea. She goes, you don't understand. I just love doing things for you. You know, that love that she shows me, listen, it's wonderful and it's beautiful, but it still can't scratch the surface of how much God loves me this morning and how much God loves you. And we're going to see in this story today how much God loves you. It's a story of love and redemption that never once has the word love in it because real love doesn't have to be said or spoken real love is shown amen and we're going to see how god shows his love ruth chapter one we're going to read verses one through five and then we're going to go into prayer and it starts like this it says in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land and a man of bethlehem in judah went to sojourn in the land of moab he and his wife and his two sons the name of the man was elimelech And the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chelon. And they were Ephrites from Bethlehem in Judah. Now they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpha, and the other was Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chelon died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. And Lord, as we look in your scripture and your word, the beautiful story of redemption, Father, I pray that, um, Lord, I pray that, that hearts won't listen to me, but Father, will listen to you. Lord, we pray for your spirit to just touch our hearts today, that you give us the wisdom and the words that we need for this hour. But Father, it's not about us. We want it to be all about you, all about your love and how much you care for us. So Father, I pray today, Lord, that I'm able to get out of the way and, Lord, that you use me in spite of my, Lord, in spite of my deficiencies, in spite of my, my stuttering and stammering. Lord, it seems to get worse and worse every day. Father, I still pray that you use us, Lord, for your glory. And that you're able, Lord, to, with your spirit, Lord, rise above, Lord, my, my limits in the flesh. And, Lord, allow your story of redemption to ring in our hearts, true and clear. And we pray this, Lord, today, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Y'all can be seated. The story starts off in a time, it says, where the judges rule. And actually, uh, if you look at this story of redemption, it's happening in a time that actually falls in between the book of Judges uh, and the book of Samuel when we see a king is getting ready to come uh, into the picture. And the time of Judges is a unique time because in a lot of times in the chapter of Judges, you'll see that it says that and the people did uh, as their heart desired. The people did kind of what they wanted. And so we see that the story enters in on a time where there had been a famine in the land uh, of Bethlehem. And there had been this famine there, and so they were really struggling to, to find food to eat uh, and to be able to feed their families. And what's unique about that is they are living in a land uh, that God had promised them. They are living in the promised land, which the Bible says that actually was green, and, and, and it was great for growing crops. And it was a land that was flowing, the Bible says, with milk and honey. And this was, listen, if there was a place that you were going to want to live uh, to be able to make sure all your needs were met, such as food and water, this is the place to be, the best fertile ground. Maybe if you remember uh, back in school learning about the Fertile Crescent, uh, we're we're looking at this area here that, uh, and it was a great land for growing things, but there, listen, there had been a famine now. They were living in a land of promise, but there was a famine. And how does that happen? One has to ask themselves, how do they end up in a famine when they're living in a land that is flowing with milk and honey? Well, it's very clear because God had actually told his people, as long as you're obedient, I will take care of you. But when you become disobedient, then you will know what it's like to not have my hand. And so they're living in a time where obviously disobedience has occurred, and there's a famine in the land, and so now instead of just waiting it out, instead of just saying, you know what, God, we're going we're gonna to have a revival, we're going to get back to serving you, because we know that when we serve you with all of our hearts, we know that when we give you all of us, we know that you do great things for your people, and you said that we would never be begging for bread, and, and here we are in this time, so I know, God, that, that it has to do something with us. Instead of getting right with god and talking to god they decided they was going to go look for another place that might be better amen you ever been there You ever been in a time where where you were living for God and things just wasn't going so good and you were starting to get upset with God and and discontent with God because God is not doing things your way? I can tell you that when you get in those times, look to yourself. Don't be looking at God and asking God why he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing because he's doing exactly what a good, good father does. Amen? A good, good father will not allow you to go against him. He will not allow you to live in disobedience and think that everything is going to be all right and just tell you that everything is going to be rainbows and unicorns. Listen, God doesn't work that way. He is a good, good, great father who loves us so much that he says, listen, if you try to live in opposition to me, I'll show you what it looks like because my true desire for you is to come back and you won't come back if I give you everything that you want. So instead of, instead of just getting right with God and waiting it out, they decide, Elimelech decides that he's going to take his wife Naomi and they're going to go to Moab. Now listen, Moab is a place that first off was never as fertile as it was in the promised land. Moab is a long ways away. This is what Dr. David Guzik said about going to Moab. He said, to do so, they had to hike through the desolate Jericho Pass, through the Judean wilderness near the Dead Sea, going across the Jordan River to get into the land of Moab. This was a definite departure from the promised land of Israel and a return toward the wilderness from which God had delivered Israel hundreds of years before. These were clearly steps in the wrong direction. So here's uh, Elimile, Elimile, that, that guy, right? I'm just going to call him E, Big E, right? Here's Big E and his wife, Naomi, right? Uh, when his mother gave him a name like that, she meant for a, a nickname to come in there somewhere, amen? And so here is uh, Big E and his wife, and they decide instead of waiting this thing out, they're going to go over and they went a long ways away to a place that was not known for having fertile ground. Matter of fact, you know what Moab was really known for? The first time we see Moab, we could go all the way back to Lot. You remember Lot when him and his wife went into to, to Sodom? You remember when he went into that place, and, and there God delivered him out of it, and he told, he told him not to look back, and, and Lot's wife looked back, and she turned into a pillar of salt, and there was Lot left with his two daughters. And then his two daughters decided that they didn't have any heirs, so we know what they did, right? They got Lot drunk, and they actually uh, got pregnant by, their, by Lot. I'll just leave it at that. And so we see that one of the places that the one daughter ended up was Moab. And that's where we see Moab kind of come into the picture. Moab's known for everything that is despicable to God. But not only that, you know, in Moab, they actually served pagan gods. And they even found that they had this, uh, they had this altar there that was shaped like a lap. And it had a slanted, uh, a slanted rock. And if you ever see in the Bible where it talks about passing their babies through the fire, you know what that meant? They would actually sacrifice babies. And they would lay him on that stone, that hot stone that was fired up into a big fire. And they would lay him there and they would roll down into the fire, sacrificing their babies, thinking that God was somehow going to listen to that. That is where they are headed. They are headed so far away from God that they really can't see the light of day. And you know, I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been there. There's been times. I was raised in church. I was raised to know right. But there was a time in my life where I decided, you know what? I know what right is, but I didn't want to do right. Because right didn't seem to be moving fast enough for me. Right didn't have all the things that I wanted. And there was some fun that I wanted to have. And I didn't think being right would allow me to have that kind of fun that I wanted. And the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. So I went chasing pleasure. You know what I ended up? I ended up as deep as deep as you can get into things that God is not pleased with. But you know what? that's not the end of the story, and that's part of the beauty of Ruth. So we see here how the story starts. The story starts with a husband and wife and their two children that go away from God. There's been a famine, and they decided they were going to try it better on their own instead of waiting for God to give what he would promise them. And so we see that when Elimelech and Naomi show up here in Moab, if not, as, as if things weren't already bad, right? As if they weren't already kind of starving for food and having a rough time, things would actually take a turn for the worse, if you can believe that. So let's pick up at verse 6. Now there's a lot of Bible reading, so I want you to keep your Bible handy, and I want you to read along. I thought about just telling you the story and, and forego all the Scripture reading, but I, I just love the Scripture, and I think the Scripture can say a lot more to your heart today than I can. So I'll let the Scripture do its work. How about that? Amen? I'll trust God that, that His Word can do it all by itself. It re- doesn't really need me. Amen? It says this, then she arose with her daughters in law So, oh, oh, let me back up for a second. So after Elimelech, Elimelech Big E died, right, uh, after he died, his Uh, Their two sons took daughters of Moab. By the way, do you realize that's also against God's word? They were not to take people of of foreign gods and of foreign countries. The Israelites were to to keep their marriage inside the house of God, amen? And that's being unequally yoked. And so they went out and the two sons decided to become unequally yoked by marrying these two daughters of Moab. And then guess what? They die too. It turns worse. And so now we pick up in the verse... 6. It says, then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return to the country of Moab for she had heard in the fields of Moab that God had visited his people and had given them food. Now hang on just a second. Do you realize I told you how far it was away on for a reason because you see, they went all the way to Moab to try to look for food and try to make a life there on their own because they maybe Elimelech thought that he could do better on his own or, or thought that it was his responsibility. Sometimes dads, husbands, we do that, don't we? It's our responsibility to provide for the family and sometimes instead of trusting God we'll just work ourselves to the bone amen I'm gonna tell you something listen you can work and work and work and do all that you can and spend all your time away from your family working and trying to make a life for yourself but listen as God can provide in his time just because you work doesn't mean that your bag is going to fill up and Haggai said this you keep working to put your money in bags that had what holes in it obedience is better than sacrifice the bible says you can work all you want and think that you know what i've got this responsibility so i'm going to try to build a life a better life for your kids listen you can never build a better life than spending time with your children you can never build a better life than spending time with your wonderful bride you can never spend a better life your kids don't need everything they need you i watched a interview with um, dale earnhardt jr and his sister i believe her name was kelly if i remember correctly And they talked about how when their mom and dad had got divorced and and then eventually their mom's house burned down, so they had to go live with their dad. And Dale Jr. got in a lot of trouble. That's kind of how he cried out that he wanted attention and, and ended up in military school. And then his sister loved him so much that she hated the thought of him being there by himself. So she went, actually in 10th grade, actually decided to quit going to public school and went to military school to be near her brother so she could take care of him. Ain't that a wonderful sister? Hey, man, that's pretty cool, isn't it? But, you know, as they started to the interview them, they started to talk to them about their dad. And they said, you know what? We never took family vacations except for we go once a year to Daytona. But the only reason we went to Daytona was so dad could race. During the day, he went to the racetrack, and we stayed and hung out with all the other race kids and swam in the pool. But all we really wanted was to be with our dad. You know, those kids had everything they ever wanted. Dale, Dale Sr. had plenty of money to give them everything, and they said they had great things. But you know what they really wanted? They really wanted the acceptance and love from their dad, and that would have been enough for them. So quit trying to get everything for our kids and just start giving them love and time and give them our acceptance and tell them that they're good. Tell them and encourage them about what they're doing in life. If they're doing something wrong, obviously we want to encourage them to do right. But listen, the best thing we can do is tell them we're proud of them. That will go further than anything we will ever buy. Amen? Anything. And so we come back to the story. So here, here, Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws are in Moab, and word comes, word comes all the way over to Moab that what? That God had visited his people. You know that they didn't have Facebook then? They didn't have Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all those other grams that you have. They didn't have no electronic stuff. By the way, kids, get, you, get your head up out of your phones. Parents, you do it too. You know there's been people killed texting and walking at this point? You know, that's bad. It's bad. I saw one video of a person doing texting and fell right into a fountain of water uh, in the city. And I thought, and it, uh, that's hilarious, right? But that's we're so consumed by everything else. I want you to know today that, listen, that God can speak to your heart, and it don't matter where you're at, amen? You, do, you realize that there was no internet, there was no telephones, there was no electronic means. But listen, when God wants to get your attention, He will get your attention, amen? God can get word to you, and God can get word to your children and your children's children. God can get word to you no matter where you're at because He is God. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need electronic means God can get word to you. Amen. And word had went all the way to Moab and said, listen, God had visited his people. So now Naomi's thinking in her mind, listen, God has visited his people. I left a beautiful place if I would have just hung on. So you know what Naomi decides to do? I'm going home. I'm going home. And here today, if you're here, And maybe you've grown cold on God and you've been trying to do it your way and things ain't really working out. I want you to know today, listen, do what Naomi did. Come home. Let's look at the scripture. It says this. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughter-in-law, and they went away to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go and return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and me. In other words, she says, you've been really good to me. You have loved me through the process of my husband dying as well as my two sons dying. So, you know, I thank you for all your kindness. And it says, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house uh, of her husband. Then she kissed him and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return to your people. But Naomi said this, turn back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Have I yet any sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? In other words, in the, time of, in the biblical times, if, if, a, if a woman's husband was to die and he had other brothers, then the next brother would actually take that wife. We see that story in the story of Judah, uh, Judah and, and Tamar. It says, But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters, will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that you may become husbands? Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband." If I should if I should say I have hope, then even I should have a husband this night and bear sons. Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me to, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, and but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave or to go from return from following you. For where I go, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. Naomi and Ruth now return home. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, just call me Mara, for Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. You know, just hang on a second right there. She says, I went away full, but the land was in famine. What did she mean? You know what she meant? When I left here... We may have been a little hungry. When we left here, times may have been hard, but I had my family. I had my husband. I had my kids. You know, so often in our homes, we think that we're poor. Or we think that we, that we need more. Or You know, we're already rich. God has already blessed us so greatly. And you know what she's saying here? I left full. You know, I didn't realize it at the time, but now that I've lost everything, I realized that I was full and I should have never left here. And, you know, sometimes it ought to make us cause to stop and think for a second. You know what? I am full today. I've probably got less physical things today than I've ever had in the last 20 years. But I've never felt so rich in all my life. Listen, it's one thing I always should say that I grew up in a house with wheels on it. I now live in one with wheels on it. Now, they are going to be mag wheels soon. I've been saving up. Denise and Terry pull in that Challenger and got them polished wheels, and I thought they'd look real good on my camper. And, you know, I've had some things in my life and, you know, and I think about the decisions that I've made where I thought I didn't have enough where I live. So I had to build a house three times the size and had to have all these things. But as each thing that I put in front of God, each thing that that I started to put in front of my family just kept pulling me further and further away from being rich. The fact is, the more I got, the poorer I got. And it took me realizing that, you know what, I had already been rich. And the best thing I could do was get rid of those things which comes between me and my God, between me and my wife, and between me and my children. It takes all my time. And now I'm telling you, I am rich. And she says, I left here full. And now I come back, call me Mara, for Almighty God has dealt, dealt bitterly with me. And says, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So now we see that her two daughter-in-laws have went a little ways with her. But you know Orpha, the other one. First time I saw that, I thought her name was Oprah, and I thought, man, I didn't realize Oprah's name was biblical. Turns out I was wrong, because the English language kind of gets, you know, then it's got the same letters in it, amen? If it's got the same letters, it's got to be close, the way I see things, right? My English ain't so good sometimes. And so, but she had her two daughters, Ruth and Orpha, they went away, So you know what's sad about this story? Is Orpha was this close to finding out what redemption looked like. You know, she knew that, that God was dealing and had visited with Naomi's people and Naomi's decided to go back home because back home is the best place for me. Back in God's care and His promised land, I know that I've done wrong. I know that coming to Moab was a mistake. That We decided that we were going to trust ourselves more than God. But now that I know that God has visited the land, I'm going to go back and I'm going to be in God's promised land and I'm going to trust God and let Him take care of me from here on out. And Ruth said, you know what? I am with you. And Orpha said the same thing, but then she started to travel a little bit, and she started to get a little closer, and then she decided to turn back. Isn't that sad? I think about when Paul, when he went before um, the Roman governor, and Agrippa, and some of the saddest words I've ever seen in, in the Bible was when Agrippa said, Paul, you have almost persuaded me. So close, but never having been further away from what is right. Orpha knew that there was something about Naomi's God, but you know what? She just could not seem to break herself loose of where she was used to being. You know, you ever seen that? Sometimes people get so used to being in the mud that when they finally get an opportunity to be out on dry land, they just can't stand not being muddy. And you know what? She just could not bear being without home. She'd rather go back home in a place where they sacrificed babies and they prayed to gods who could not hear them instead of going into the land where God would visit them. Isn't that sad? But thankfully, Ruth decided that, you know what, I'm going to stick with Naomi because her God is the God that I want to know. And so we see God's sovereign work here in the life of of Ruth. God is leading Ruth through his servant Naomi. Even though Naomi has not done right by God, God is still using her for his glory. Isn't that amazing what God can do through his people? Even when we've made mistakes, even when we've done things that we hadn't ought to do still yet, God is willing to use us for his holy kingdom work. Isn't that beautiful today? Sometimes I think about how I let God down in my life and the devil starts to tell me, you know Huff, you've let God down. Especially this week you've really let him down. You've just been full of anger. You've said things you hadn't say. Huff, you know what? You're just a despicable disgrace to God. And sometimes I start believing the lies that the devil tells me. Somehow that, that I've messed up to the point that God doesn't love me. Somehow that I, I've messed up to the point that God doesn't want to use me. I've messed up to the point that, that God can't use me. And listen, that is a lie out of the pits of hell. And this story shows me that even Naomi, even in the mistakes that she had made in her life, God was using her for His glory amen don't you want to be used for God's glory then listen don't buy into the lies the devil's telling you don't let him tell you you went too far don't let him tell you that you've done too much listen this receive the spirit of God who's calling you back in to a place of fellowship with God and know that God can use you even in your worst of times Here Ruth has now decided to cling to Naomi and they get to this beautiful land. They get to this place now where God has visited them and things are going great and now there's food back on the table. And we're going to see that God is able to orchestrate things and you don't need to do it yourself. Anybody ever try to do that? You know that there's some problems and you know this person's got an issue and there's an issue over here and we just start thinking in our mind uh, how we can orchestrate things to fix them. Anybody ever try to fix other people's problems? Can I get a witness in here? You ever had anybody try to fix your problems and they're as bad as yours? And you're like, seriously? Y'all know what I'm saying? I mean, we call that pot calling the kettle blackie. Y'all know what I'm saying? Hey, you want to come over here and scrub my kettle and yours got all kind of junk in it. You know what I mean? We try to go around fixing stuff. Or we sometimes have issues in life, and you know, and we have relational problems sometimes, even in our marriages with our children, all these other things. And we, we set about trying to fix stuff. I'm a fix-it person, right? Wives, let me tell you something about your husbands. God made men special and unique, amen? amen? We are works of God, and we like to fix stuff, amen? If you don't think we like to fix stuff, go to Lowe's on a Saturday and see what happens. There's guys in there trying to fix stuff. You ever seen a guy in the plumbing aisle, and you know that dude ain't never worked on plumbing in his life? Y'all know what I'm saying? And he buying that new torch set, you're like, oof. Call a plumber, dude. This is how you fix that. Write a check. Amen? I tell you how to fix it. Right? Get your checkbook out of your credit card. That's going to fix this problem, because if you fire that torch up in your house, I'm going to tell you the fire company going to be fixing something. Or oh, any of y'all ever see them people going through Lowe's and their wives are telling them what they need to get because they didn't wash home and garden while the husband was at work? Y'all, oh, can I get a witness? <laughs> can I get a, Listen, listen, they'll tell you what tools you need, what kind of stuff. They'll tell you the material. I've got the material list right here. I've already made a material list. Let's go to Lowe's. I've already got the tools. I've even looked at your shop. You're missing these three tools, so I'm going to let you buy some new tools. Going to let us buy. Going to let. Father's Day and birthdays, y'all get tools or am I the only one gets that stuff? You get a tool, you're like, thank you. Wait a second, I got to fix those. <laughs> you ever notice the tool you get is something that is broken in the house and that tool is the tool you need to fix that? It's like, it's like they think we won't catch on. And sometimes, guys, we're so dumb, we don't. They make it think it's our idea. Oh, honey, thanks for this wrench. I can fix that thing over there. <gasps> I didn't know, that. I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that when I bought that ranch. Y'all know what I'm saying? Hmm. We try to fix stuff. And guys, we're real bad at it. We try to fix stuff. If our wife comes home and tells us they had a bad day, you're like, give me the list of people I need to go take out. Right? Oh, 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 somebody got smart with you work? Who is it? It was a dude? What's his name? What's his name? I'll look him up. I'll find his address. I tell you, well, you won't have that problem tomorrow. You know why? Because he ain't showing up for work tomorrow. I will break his legs all for God's glory. I'll be there to pray for him while he's recovering. Amen. I had a fellow one time tell me at work, he says, Huh, oh, if you're a preacher, right? I said, Yeah, I'm a preacher. He says, That means I can hit you and you got to turn the other cheek. I said, Go ahead and take her out for a spin there, big boy. I ain't that good a Christian yet. But i tell you what I'll do. Say, what's that? I'll show up at the hospital and pray for you while your jaws are wired shut. <laughs> I will feed you hamburgers through a straw, my friend. And I will pray for you all along the way after I ask for forgiveness for breaking it. <laughs> so go ahead. Take a first minute. We're fix-it people. And listen, you know what this story shows us? We ain't got to fix it. God has the ability to do anything. The Bible says that he could, he's able to do more than we could ever think or ask. So why is it that we think that God can't take care of our issues? Why is it that we think that, that, that God can't take care of our problems and, and that God cannot move upon the hearts of people that need fixing? Amen. We can't fix people, but God can. You know, there's sometimes that we can speak to someone when they're open. right? You ever had someone come to you and their heart is open? They want to know the truth and they want wisdom. And when someone comes with their heart is open and, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're gentle, and they're, and they're ready to hear the truth, we can tell them the truth and they'll receive it. But the only, the only thing that can make them ready to receive the truth is the Spirit of the Lord. Amen? The Bible is very clear. It says that we cannot come to the Father unless He draws us. We don't decide one day that, hey, I need God. No, there's a stirring in our heart that's done by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. Amen? But we think that we can fix people we can't and we don't need to. So let's look at let's look at what happens here. So Ruth Naomi tells Ruth or, I'm sorry, Ruth decides that she's going to go out and to, she's going to set out and glean, and Naomi tells her to go ahead, you go, go on out. Because God had a welfare system set up. If you don't believe it, go to Leviticus. The Bible's very clear in Leviticus. It told those people who owned the fields to not glean the edges and the corners, to leave that for the people who didn't have, and for maybe those sojourners who were traveling through, or those people that was poor. Listen, welfare did not start in the United States, amen? Welfare system was actually set up correctly. It was set up by God, and he had actually provisions made for those who didn't have enough he made those provisions through his people and we see that here so ruth is going to go out and she's going to 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 go out and look for one of those fields to which she could glean by god's setup of his welfare system found in leviticus and when she goes out she's going to end up finding a field and it's a very special field let's look so we're going to pick up a chapter two starting at verse one it says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of a clan of Elimelech, Elimelech or whatever, big E, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight that I shall find favor. And she said, Go, my daughter. Now realize that the, the, the scripture says here that there was this guy named Boaz. But at the time, if you look at the way this is written, when Ruth goes out, she doesn't yet know who Boaz is. She doesn't know who he is. She just knows that she's going to go out and wait to find favor in someone who will let her glean in the field so that she could get food. So she says, go, my daughter. Verse 3 says, so she set out and went and gleaned the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and as she continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. You know what he's saying? He says, listen, I'll take care of you. You don't need to go to another field from here on out. Go to this one. Now, God has led Ruth to this field. She doesn't yet really know who Boaz is. She didn't even know that it was Boaz's field. She just set out and says, I'm going to go out until someone actually will find, I'll find favor or they'll take pity on me. And then, you know, and hopefully I'll be able to get enough food to eat. So she sets out just thinking that she's going to try to glean enough grain to be able to to make some barley cakes for for her and her mother-in-law. And she has no idea that God is at work in her life. And she does not yet know him. Isn't that amazing? That God loves us so much that he's at work in our lives even before we ever say that we want him. He is already at work. She has done land smack dab in the field of someone who's going to, well, let's just read. It said, then Boaz said listen, my daughter, do not go green another field or leave this one. And then verse 9, it says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink in what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bound to the ground, and she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and come to a people that you did not know before. Then he says this, The Lord repay you for what you have done. A full reward will be given to you by the Lord and God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Here is a little girl from Moab, a country that everything is wrong in. She is from the wrong side of the tracks, grew up in the wrong family, has done wrong things, and has seen nothing but wrong in her life. Listen, it's one of the people that you see that you walk on the other side of the sidewalk. Y'all know what I'm saying? There's people who are from that side of town where other people don't go. The people who were, She was raised by people who did not know God and did pagan things and did the most despicable stuff and yet called it right. And still yet, this woman who is not known of God has not done nothing to deserve him, yet still God is orchestrating things behind the scenes for her, and God is moving in her life to the point that she's done landed in the field of this precious man named Boaz who is going to redeem her for his own. He said, may the Lord bless you because you have sought refuge under his wings. Amen. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've been. I want you to know there's room for you today under the wings of our dear lord amen he will wrap himself around you he will comfort you he will redeem you he will save you and he will take care of you no matter what you've done where you've been or how you've been raised amen you know we find in the new testament that peter peter was raised a jew and and peter had never touched anything unclean but one day he, had a, he, he fell into a dream while uh, sleeping on top of a roof. And the Bible said that, that these visions of, of all these animals that he considered unclean was, appeared before him. And God told him, Peter, rise up and eat. Kill and eat. And Peter says, I've never touched anything that's unclean. And God says, what I've made do not call unclean. And Peter realized that day that what God has made, God loves. Amen. And he went and told the people when he finally went in uh, to the centurion's house, he says, I have perceived that God is not a respecter of persons. You know what that means? It doesn't matter where you've been, who you are, and how you was raised. It does not matter any of that. God made you in his image, and he absolutely loves and cares for you. If you're here today, you're not here by accident. Matter of fact, you think you're here today on your own decision." And why I believe in the, the free will choices that God gives us, know this today that you may have decided to come here, but listen, I want you to know that God pressed and pulled your heart. You didn't come here on your own because you were seeking good. You came here because God is drawing you. Amen. And so often we want to we put off God, or I hear people all the time, that I would love to be a Christian, Huff. I would love to, I would love to serve God, but you just don't know what I've done. I'm going to tell you, listen, it does not matter what you've done. You don't get no dirtier than Ruth. You don't come from no worse a place than where Ruth came from in Moab, a place that was known for incest, a place that was known for sacrificing babies to pagan gods. Not only that, their worship also included things uh, and doing things, if you will, to the opposite sex that God had reserved for marriage. Their worship included that. Can you imagine that? Doing those kind of despicable things with all manner of people and then calling it worship. That's where she came from. It doesn't get any worse than what Ruth was, and still yet God is working on Ruth's behalf. Why? Why? Because he loves you, because he made you in his image, and he cares for you, because he has a place for you in his heart. Ruth doesn't know how all this works. All she knows is that Boaz has been really nice to her. But then Ruth, knowing what she knows, actually gave her some insight. Now we pick up at verse 17. It says, So she gleaned in the field into evening, and she beat out that which she had gleaned, and it was about a ephah of barley. That's a good bit of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food that she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said, Where did you glean today? Where have you worked? And blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked that his man's name of who I work for today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter in may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, this man is a close relative of yours, one of our redeemers. You see, not only did God set up a, a social system of welfare, but he also set it up to where if your family had died off and you had no heirs, that you could actually be redeemed and all that you had, that you had promised out in in, uh, loans or whatever the case may be, could be bought back by a redeemer. Uh, To redeem means to purchase. And she didn't know it, but she had been gleaning in the field of one of the ones that God had set up that could actually give her the freedom that she needed. She had no clue when she went to that field. Ruth didn't choose that field. God chose it for her, amen? And that's what God will do for your life. God makes choices for you. God actually sets up things for you, and God will take care of you in a way that you cannot take care of yourself. And so she had landed smack dab in, 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 in Boaz's field. So this, and now the instruction comes from, from Naomi. She says, okay. You didn't realize this, but you ended up gleaning in the, in the land of someone who is actually our near kinsman, and he can redeem you. So here's what I want you to do. And listen, if you're here today, And you want the peace that passes all understanding if you want to be able to sing good good father it's who you are and i'm loved by you that's who i am then listen here's what you need to know today let's look at what naomi tells ruth to do then naomi her mother-in-law said to her my daughter should i not seek rest for you that it may be well with you is not boaz our relative with who the uh, young women you were see he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor wash your Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Think about what she said. Listen. Boaz is going to be there. He's going to be working on the threshing floor tonight. But when he gets done, here was what I want you to do. When he lays down, I want you to go uncover his feet, and I want you to lay down at his feet. Let me tell you this today. The Savior has got his arms wide open for you today, and all you've got to do is just kneel down at his feet. Just throw yourself down at his feet. Listen, and that's telling him, you know what, God? I want you. See, he is a perfect gentleman. He will not take you over. But listen, he says that if you believe in your heart and you confess him with your mouth that he is Lord... He says that you will be saved. Will you, will you just take yourself and just, just lay yourself down at his feet today? Just kneel down before him and say, God, I want to call you Lord. And I want you to cover me with your covering as only you can. Would you cover me with your righteousness? Make me white in your sight, not because of what I've done, because of what you've done. Now listen to Boab's response. It says, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just what her mother-in-law had told her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. He said she came softly. She didn't come like she owned a place. She didn't come demanding, did she? She just came and just softly, softly pulled the cover back from his feet and laid there ever so gently. And says, And at midnight the man, startled, turned over, and behold, there was a woman lay at his feet. And he says, Who are you? And she goes, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And then he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this kindness greater than the, in the first, and that you have not gone out after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you what you ask. For all my fellow townsmen will know that, uh, that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than, nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. You know what he says? Rest. David said that weeping may endure through the night, but joy, joy comes in the morning. You know, sometimes we just have to do that. Sometimes we just have to lay ourselves down before God. Not only in not only in coming to him and asking him to be Lord of our life, but you know sometimes in our lives when when we just have we've just gone astray or or when we've just kind of grown cold from him and or when we've just kind of just gone away and started doing things our own way I find that sometimes that that when I finally come to my senses you know what I do I just have to go lay myself before him and say God I I I know that I'm your child I know that you haven't forgotten me but I'm just laying myself before you because you know what? God I've been trying to do it my own way and I just want to be back in fellowship with you do you want fellowship with them it's not that god loves you or turns his back on you but sometimes we just simply walk in a way that is that is not consistent with his word and, and god just has to let us know what it feels like to to not have that comfort and what it feels like to to not have those provisions and that's what naomi experienced she knew she went to moab and tried to make a life for herself but it just life got worse so now she's decided to come home and she's brought ruth with her who's never known god at all and she tells ruth lay down before his feet to your redeemer and he will accept you so now we go to chapter four as we close the chapter and it says this now boaz had gone up to the gate and sat there and behold the redeemer of whom boaz had spoken uh, came by so boaz said turn aside friend and sit down here and he turned aside and sat down then he took 10 men of the elders into the city and said sit down here And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, let me explain that. It's a little confusing. Boaz was the, what they call the kinsman-redeemer. But there was another one that was ahead. In other words, there was one who was further up in the line, closer in relation. He said, I have to go to him first. And so he went to him and said, hey, Naomi's selling this piece of land. He's like, all right, I'll buy it. He said, but she also has a daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is of the age still yet to be married and could have children. And when you buy that land back, you're buying that land for her inheritance to give to her. And he said, man, I can't do that lest I mess up the inheritance for my own family. He said, so I can't buy it. So that opened up for Boaz to be able to redeem this land. You know what Boaz did? You see, you have to really kind of, again, you could study this over and over and I'm getting ready to close, but this is what he did. Boaz bought the land so that Ruth would have an inheritance. He bought the land not for himself, But he bought the land so that she would have an inheritance for her people and for her children. Because, see, that's what the redeemer, Jesus didn't give his life for us so that he could have something. Sometimes we think that we want to bargain with Jesus. Sometimes we think that, well, God, if you save me or God, if you do this for me, then I'll do this. Listen, God already has all that he needs. Jesus gave his life a ransom for us, not for what he would get, but because of his love for us. It says that his love for us is why he endured the cross. Seeing wherefore we are so compassed with such a great cloud of witness, let's look at, you know, cast aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us, looking to the author and finisher of our faith. And for his love for us endured the cross. You see, Jesus gave his life not because we have something to give to him, because the fact is he needs nothing. In Jesus, sometimes we paint this picture. We see this North American view or this kind of American view, if you will, of Christianity now that somehow starts to promote a gospel that says something along the lines is that God loves you so much that his heart is broken and God loves you so much that he needs you. No, I want you to know today that God in himself is 100% complete. God needs nothing to complete himself. He is absolutely perfect, absolutely righteous in his own account. He does not need you to today, but He loves you simply because He loves you. You don't bring anything to the table. You don't have anything that He needs. You don't have anything that He really has to have. He just simply loves you because you're made in His image. And He, as we see Boaz, gives us this beautiful picture of what a Redeemer looks like. Jesus died on the cross redeeming us. It means He paid the price for us. He paid the price for you. And listen, and if he'll pay the price for somebody like Ruth, won't he do it for you too? Not only did he redeem Ruth, but he also restored Naomi. Because when that land was bought by Boaz, not only did he give an inheritance for Ruth and her children, but he also restored Naomi to have a home and have a place. So you know what? There's a story of redemption today, and there's a story of restoration that says this. If you've never known him, he loves you, and no matter what side of the tracks you come from, no matter what you've done, he cares for you. Or if you're here today, and you've grown cold on him, then realize, just like Naomi, had to go do things her way for a while, but she realized that her way did not get her anywhere, and you know what? She decided to come back home And we see here that God made provisions for her too. He took care of both the one who needed restoration and he took care of the one who needed redemption. And he will surely take care of you today. By the way, Ruth is pretty special when it comes to the lineage of Christ. Because I'll read the last few verses, near the last few verses of the chapter, it says this. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Not only did he buy the land for her to take care of her to make sure she had a future, He took her as his own, and he married her. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He said that he would be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So here was two women. Their husbands had died. They had nothing. And a a, a woman who had no family, in this time and age was just a castaway, wouldn't have lasted long. But yet, because they knew that there was something special back in the land that God had given, Naomi decided to come home. And Ruth said, if you're going home and your God's that good, then I'm going with you. And here we see now at the end of the story, not only was Ruth redeemed, Naomi restored, now Naomi has a, little, has a little grandson on her lap. And now she's called blessed. you imagine that? She went from being a homeless widow to now she has a home and she has a family and she has a place in our heritage. And I love, because you go to Matthew chapter 1, and it'll give you a lineage of Christ, and guess who's listed in there? Ruth. A woman from the wrong side of the tracks ended up being the great-great-grandmother of the King David. Amen. One who was after God's own heart. God can take you, and he can do for you what you can't do for yourself. You cannot orchestrate, you cannot make things go your way, but listen, if you'll trust God, Ruth had no idea where she was going in the field that day. She was just looking for a field. But God directed her path to a man named Boaz, and he took care of her. And here now we see this beautiful great-great-grandmother of the beloved King David. Listen, God wants to use you, and God can take care of you. He can restore you, and he can redeem you if you will just lay at his feet today. Just ever so gently, humbly in prayer. Now, this is an actual picture of, To show us what this looks like, you ain't got to lay down on the altar today, but in prayer, would you lay yourself before him and say, God, I've been looking for peace that I ain't been able to find anywhere else. I've been looking for a place of comfort. I've been looking for a place of protection. I feel like I'm all alone. I'm out in this world by myself. And I feel like I'm just someone's ready to pounce on me at any moment. And I feel like I have nothing. I feel like that all is gone. I'm just looking for a place of peace where I know that I am loved and that I am protected and that I'm cared for. Today, if you will humble yourself in prayer and lay yourself before the feet of God and say, God, here I am. I have nothing to offer, just myself. I'll tell you today, you will be accepted. You will be accepted. Would you stand on your feet?